0: Well, today we're coming around this idea of anxiety again, and as we do that, I I just want to say again, last week we kind of laid the runway for this, but I just want to say again that God is bigger than anxiety. Um, Anybody know anybody that's struggling with anxiety? I'm not asking if you are, but anybody know anybody that's struggling with anxiety, some form of that? It's a lot of people across the room. I didn't ask because I wanted us to, I needed an answer. I already knew the answer. I just kind of trying to break through the you know, the layer that we put up for people so that we all know that this is the world that we're living in, people in the church, outside the church, people with faith in Jesus, people who don't know who Jesus is yet. And I want you to know that I'm one of those people. And I don't mind telling you that, so don't get nervous for me because that's my life and that's who I am. I never dreamed I was going to be one of those people. Um, I I didn't have a, a history of struggling with anxiety. Um, I told you before about my point of view coming from my mom and dad, but I wasn't an an anxiety kind of person, but anxiety comes out of the blue sometimes, and when it comes, you don't know what's coming, and it can come in a pretty powerful way. My story is like some of your stories and unlike others of your stories, but my story, basically, the point of it is this, that God is bigger than anxiety, and I just want you to know that today. That's why we're rooting our faith in Jesus. Shelley and I in 2008 had had a pretty crazy year and I don't know all the reasons why I ran into a wall of anxiety but some of them could have been um, that we led a world tour with passion to 17 cities around the world um, 16 nations every continent the major continents we didn't go to Antarctica uh, and at the last of that journey which we were trusting God for about Six million dollars for which we didn't really have that kind of cash sitting around, so we were believing God for this journey we were on. Our team, all of us traveling around the world for three months, and at the end of it, our last stop in the journey was incredible. It was in Sydney, Australia, and somewhere around nine or ten thousand young people came to the Sydney Entertainment Center right down in, in uh, the heart of Sydney. It was a beautiful night, incredible, never forget it. And, the, and so the tour sort of had ended, started in Kiev, Ukraine, ended in Sydney, Australia. And I'll never forget the night of going back to the hotel and laying down and thinking, thank you, Lord, it, it, it's over, we did it, we made it. We're not home yet, we got a long flight, but we made it. And uh, the next morning, Shelly got up and she got in the shower in our hotel room, and the next thing I heard from the other room was this incredibly loud scream Went into the shower. Shelly was on the floor in the shower. Her back had completely gone out on her. She couldn't get up the rest of that day, not off the floor. We canceled our flight home. We stayed in Sydney three or four extra days until Shelly could literally make it to the airport. And then you can imagine how fun that flight was all the way home from Sydney to LA for her, from LA to Atlanta, from the airport to our house. And by the time we got to our house, things were rough. So that was going on right in that window. My mom had been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. It was kind of coming on slow, but then it took an evolutionary turn. She was hospitalized a couple of times while we were on the world tour. Um, she was falling at the end of her driveway, falling at her mailbox, laying there sometimes for half an hour before a neighbor would pass by and see her and help her. Um, we were renovating our house. Don't ever do that, by the way. If you ever think about that, just think of another option besides that. Um, There was a global economic meltdown in 2008, in case you forgot about that. And if you're, you know, 20, you don't care. If you're 50, it's a little more, you know, of an issue. And we were planning something called Passion City Church. So that was 2008. That was a pretty good year. And we got home, and Shelly was completely out of it. We were getting her to doctors and trying to figure out treatments. And she literally, I mean, could not get out of the bed and All this was going on and maybe a week or two into this journey, two o'clock in the morning I woke up just like somebody had put paddles on my chest. I just shot up out of the bed, never had done anything quite like that, was in a full sweat, thought this must be what it feels like, you know, this is what it's like when you die. And um, my heart was just about to explode and I got up and went in the bathroom and I washed my face, I don't know why I did that, and I thought, you know, I'll just try to change the, you know, the environment a little bit, and uh, and I'm a guy, so guys, you know, try to manage things, and so I thought, well, I'll just go lay back down and see what happens, and so I went laid back down, and that condition just stayed pretty steady until the sun came up, and Shelly woke up, and I said, man, I don't know what's going on with me, but I got up, took a shower, went to my, my office, and at the Passion House and sat at my desk and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm still feeling this way and at some point my sister walks in who works with us and she said, what's going on with you? And I said, I don't know. And she said, "You need to go to the doctor." I said, "I think I do need to go to the doctor. I don't even know who my doctor is. You know how that gets in life, you know." And so, I, no kidding, I pull out my my medical card to see who my doctor is because you got to go see this guy before you can see any other people, right? I've never even met this guy before. I just—he's a name on a card I've been carrying around in my wallet. So I call up, say to this guy's office, I, "I I need to come now. I'm on my way." So his office is, you know, down near North Side, and I drive down there, walk in, and. They're like, what's going on? I said, well, I'm 50 years old and I feel like uh, my heart's blowing out of my chest right now. And I found one thing out that that does alleviate the waiting room and the paper, paperwork. <laughs> and so they took me straight in and uh, started doing uh, EKG things and chest x-rays and all this stuff. And he came in and he said, hey, your heart's great. Good news. Um, here's some medicine for indigestion and I think that's probably going to help you and you know, head on home. So I thought, okay, that's good news. So I went home, and that, that, that day just kind of stayed like that. And that night, and I won't get into all the details, because really nobody really wants to hear all that. But that night, getting around midnight, something pretty crazy started happening to me. And I started having um, just some physical reactions that were not normal. Uh, my arm went numb. My face went numb. My legs started convulsing. I'm sitting on the bed and I'm watching me do all this stuff and Shelly's looking at me and she's like stop doing that and I'm like I'm not doing this you know I'm I'm not doing it and so I called a friend of mine who is a doctor not my doctor but another doctor and I just said man I don't know what's going on but this is what's happening right now and he said well I don't know what to tell you but um, you probably should go to the hospital so we got in the car and we drove down to one of the hospitals here in town. It was about 2 o'clock by now. I'll just tell you this so you can understand, and then I'll, I'll condense all the rest of this story. So again, I walk in. It's 2 in the morning. Emergency room's full of people. I walk up, and I don't know. The lady didn't even ask me any questions this time. She just said, you need to come straight through. They, I just walked right past her, right into the back, and they started evaluating me. My blood pressure was 185 over 165. And people's eyes started getting about this big, and they started running every kind of test on me you could run. And long story short, about two hours later, his doctor's telling me, you're not having a heart attack. You don't have this, and you don't have this, and you don't have this. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? He said, I don't know, but we're going to give you something and see if we can't settle things down. And eventually something went in the IV, and about 20 minutes later, I felt fine. And that started a journey for me that I can only describe as confusing, debilitating. Because it it wasn't as simple as the guy saying, hey, you're having an anxiety attack and we're going to give you this and everything's going to be fine. Because when I went home that night, the two o'clock thing happened again the next night and it happened the night after that and the night after that. And then my mind started literally just going crazy and it started telling my body that my body was having all these symptoms that I was pretty sure I was having because I was having symptoms. But it turns out, I would go to this doctor and that doctor and over the course of the next couple of weeks and months, I had every test you can have run on you. Because I was having every kind of symptom you could possibly have. And every test I would go to and every doctor I would go to, to have, you know, I need to have an MRI. And I did. And uh, no, you don't have that. And I had this run. And you don't have that. And I had this checked out. And you don't have this. And every doctor was, you don't have this, you don't have that. And I'm like, well, why is this happening? And why is this symptom here? And all the while, I, I fell into a symptom, which I didn't even know was a symptom. It's called the fear of death syndrome. You can go look it up. I didn't even know there was such a thing. But once you fall into it, you think you're dying. And there's no worse way to live than to think you're dying. Especially when you're having symptoms because your mind is on overdrive and it's, you know, kind of cracking under the the pressure and it's starting to tell you all kinds of things that aren't really happening. And now you've got this fear of death syndrome. And so this friend of mine is walking through this whole journey with me and he can't tell me anything because part of good wisdom in his part was to just know that I had to walk through this tunnel, but he knew somehow that you just keep going to all these doctors and they'll keep telling you that you don't have anything wrong with you, and eventually you realize that you don't have anything wrong with you, which was true, and that will help you with all the things that you do have, uh, which is high blood pressure, anxiety all this fear of death thing, but the problem was at the end of the day, nobody could tell me, here's what it really is, here's why it happened, and here's how we're going to fix it, and here's when you're going to be back to normal. And I was so frustrated because nobody could really get around what was happening. We were having these meetings for Passion City Church. We had maybe one or two of them. I can't really remember, just a dozen people meeting in somebody's house. And right in the middle of all this, we were having one at the Petersons house, about 20 people or so. And I'll never forget driving over there. Shelley was driving the car, and I, I was barely able to sit in the seat. I mean, I'm just freaking out physically not about the meeting just because all this is happening and we're riding over there and I'm just saying, this is crazy, this is crazy, we're planning this church and when you plan a church and you're the pastor of the church, you're supposed to be strong, you're supposed to be the leader, you're supposed to you know, have some kind of spiritual direction in life and here I am coming in and I literally walked into their house that night and I just said, What I never dreamed I would say, because all of us spend our lives doing what a lot of us do, doing what I had been doing, stuffing worry and underreacting to things and trying to put this front out, you know, that everything's fine. And and I said, we're going into this deal. And I walked in and I'm like, guys, I I, got to tell you, look at me. I am a wreck and I am your pastor. And you know, that's not where you want to get to in life. And even in that night, God spoke to me in an amazingly encouraging way through one of the people that was in that circle. Two things happened that night. I've shared one of them here in the past that was an unbelievable word from God. And the way that God had intersected into that night, something that Chris had came that he wanted to share in that night, and when he shared, it was just it became like a, a foundational piece of God's deliverance for me, and I think a foundational piece of our history as a church. But someone else shared something because they'd known, they knew what I was going through and they'd been online kind of looking around. You know how your friends do that when you got something wrong with you and everybody's online and they're all coming and giving you a solution. And he said, hey, have you seen this message by so-and-so? You should check it out. I said, what happened? He goes, well, it's this guy, this pastor. And I knew who this pastor was. I didn't know him, but I knew of him and had a lot of respect for him. He said he went through something similar to what you've been through. And... He's telling his story in this chapel service where he's speaking to all these kids at this school. And I'm like, I should check that out. So I do, and I go, and I I watch it. And his way into this thing and my way into this thing are almost identical. And in that moment, I know I'm not crazy, and I'm not alone. And those are two powerful things to know when you think you're losing your mind. That's why we said a couple of weeks ago here, And that's why we're in this series. If you're struggling with anxiety, with worry, with some kind of uh, stress or any of the outworkings of what I'm talking about, I want you to know, we want you to know you are not alone. That's the first thing the enemy wants to do is separate you and get you stuck over in a world by yourself. And you are not crazy. You may have symptoms of being crazy, but you are not crazy. And so this process unfolded, but the two o'clock thing kept coming. And I hated the nights. I hated nighttime. Day was manageable. I didn't even mind 11, 30, 12, but I knew that eventually I was going to close my eyes. And when I closed my eyes, I knew 2 o'clock was going to come. And I don't know what it was about 2 o'clock. It's really about 2, 10, 2, 20, somewhere right in there. But 2 o'clock would keep coming. And when it would come, I'm awake. I'm wide awake again. Sometimes my heart's beating out of my chest, sometimes it's not, but this cloud was there. And I don't know how to describe it any other way, but two o'clock, there was a cloud there. Two o'clock, there was some kind of heaviness, some kind of darkness, something closing in on me. And that's where all the thoughts were amplified in that moment. In the daytime, I could sort of manage and think correctly about how things were working, but somehow about that 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock time, in the darkness of that time, everything got accentuated and exaggerated, and all the fears got bigger, and all the crazy thoughts got more crazy, and all the the things about what's going on and what's going to happen here, all those things somehow were amplified in that moment. And I'm not exaggerating one ounce when I tell you that a couple of months into this thing, when the two o'clock came on a certain night and I woke up again just perspiring, Shelley, bless her heart, sound asleep in the bed next to me, her back is better by now and she's back in sort of back in motion a little bit. And I'm laying there, and I'm just looking up into the sky, and I'm feeling so desperate because nobody is telling me, hey, here's what's going on, here's why it happened, here's how we're going to fix it, here's when everything's going to be all right again. And I'm thinking, I cannot do this thing. The daytime thing is bad enough, but this nighttime thing is going to snuff me out. I can't do this anymore. And I'm just looking up literally into the ceiling of our room, and I'm saying, God, you've got to help me. You know, and people come along, and and well-meaning people, and I want to stand in the middle of reality today. I want to get from my story pretty quickly to the hope that we have today. But people came, and they're saying, I'm praying for you. Here's this scripture for you. I'm believing for you. Uh, We had that around, because there's always that one person. They're like, well, were you praying? Yeah, we were praying. Well, 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 had you been turning to the scriptures? Yeah, we were turning to the scriptures. Did we know God? Yes, we knew God. But still, still, the darkness was crushing. And just out of desperation, I said, God, you got to help me. Our family had gone through a really hard time when I was in college. And I had gotten around this verse of scripture in Job. when one of Job's friends was giving him some bad advice. But the, the phrase of it from Job 35.10 had stuck with me my whole life and become sort of a, a pillar of my understanding of worship. And the, the, that phrase said, but God, the God who gives songs in the night. And I'd found a song that night when our family was going through probably the hardest thing collectively we maybe gone through as a family. And I'd held on to that verse all these years later and now I'm looking up into the ceiling and I'm remembering that and I'm saying, but you're the God who gives songs in the night and it is night right now. I know that you give songs in the day and we love to sing the songs of the day, but you give songs in the night and I need a song right now. And I don't know why, but I said to him just sort of out of this desperation, I said, God right now, I don't know what to do, what to say, where to turn, I don't know anything right now, but if you'll give me a song, I will sing the song to you. And somehow, in my heart, a little something happened. I remember what the psalmist had said, Why be downcast, O my soul, put your hope in God. And I just said, God, I want to just sing that to you. And I started singing this song. The melody wasn't important. You don't need to care anyway. But the little refrain was really simple. And I was saying, Be still, my soul. There is a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. His mercy is unfailing, and His arms are a fortress for the weak. And then I was just singing this little refrain: "Let faith rise, let faith rise." He said, well, "That's not a very long song." Now, when you when you're in the condition I was in, you don't need a long song. You can't do a long song. And that night, from about two thirty. Till sun up, I sing that song, be still my soul, there's a healer. Oh, he hasn't healed me. He didn't heal me yesterday when we asked him to or the day before that. He isn't healing me right this second, and I don't know if he's going to heal me tomorrow, but he is a healer. I know he's a healer, so be still, my soul. There is a healer. This doctor, don't know what he's going to be able to do. This medicine, don't know what it's going to be able to do. This this uh, this worldly system, I don't know. I'm, I've asked all of them for help, don't know what they're going to be able to do. But I know there is a healer, and I know his love is deeper than the sea, and I know he loves me right now, so I'm just going to keep singing that, because I need I need to hear this truth, and I need to sing it out to him. And so that was my song all through that night, and you're saying, oh, man, I know this is powerful. When morning came, sun came up, you woke up, and you were completely healed, right? No. No, it wasn't. And when 2 o'clock the next night came, guess what? Bam. Wake up. cloud. But when the cloud came, I had a song the next morning, that's what I want to tell you, and I started singing at 2.30, my 2.30 song, and when I woke up and there was the cloud there, I had a song, and it was cloud song, cloud song, cloud song, cloud song, you're like, and then you got healed that morning, right? No, the next night, 2.30 came, and the cloud was there, and I had a song, though, and it was cloud song, cloud song, cloud song, and eventually, like a two or three weeks into it, you're like, man, you, you, don't, you don't heal fast, I, I know, I, I don't heal real quick, apparently, a couple of weeks into it it's more like 2.30 comes, and even before the cloud can get going good, I have the song already. And so now it's kind of flipped to song cloud, song cloud, song cloud, and then it was kind of like song, song, song cloud, song cloud, didn't wake up at 2.30 last night, that was good, I Was singing the song when I went to sleep, figure that out, sing the song before you go to sleep, go ahead and preload the song, and that way you're kind of getting ahead of the curve, right? And then it was like song cloud, song cloud, song, 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 song cloud. And here's what I want to say, two short things, and I don't want to get into something that's really helpful for all of us today. A doctor did help me through this journey. And if you need help, and there's a doctor that can help you, I I can't prescribe anything for you. That is not my role here, but if, if you need to see a doctor, see a doctor. And a doctor helped me through, literally a doctor, but a friend of mine walking with me who was a doctor became my salvation through this other than Jesus. And I do, and I'm grateful for that, but I believe it was praise that started leading me out of the valley of the shadow of death. I believe it was praise that broke through the darkness, and I believe and know in my own heart that it was praise that started me on this journey. I'll come around at the end and sort of tell you how that story came to a close, but I want to I encourage you today to think about worship as a weapon and to start using it against whatever it is that's attacking you in the night. You see, worship is not just sort of a, a nice little component to church on Sunday, kind of sets us up for the message, kind of gets us ready for the talk. But worship is a weapon because worship reminds us what God already knows and what the enemy already knows, which is that Jesus is greater than whatever it is we face in our lives. And if you don't believe that the enemy believes that, then you need to read more of the stories of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. The enemy understands this power. We talked about this man who brought his son to Jesus last week. And eventually, when the conversation happened, can you help my son? Jesus said, what do you mean, if I can? And then he had a word for all of them about belief, and then he spoke to the Spirit, and the Spirit didn't say, I don't know, who are you? What kind of authority do you have? When Jesus spoke, the Spirit left because the Scripture says even the demons believe and they tremble. They're not having this message today. They believe that Jesus is Lord. And when there comes a moment where it's either Jesus or them, they lose every time. When he speaks to them every single time in this book, they flee because they know they are not having a crisis of faith. They know he is Lord. They, they even, in one case, one of the spirits spoke and said, we know who you are. You are Jesus of Nazareth and we get it. And God knows who he is. He's not having a crisis of faith. He knows he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's you and me in the balance today and in the middle of this warfare where the enemy who knows they are defeated are always trying to get a foothold or a stronghold in our lives and tell us that God isn't able while they are convinced that he's able. And then while we have a God who we've seen to be able, who's put us in a history of understanding his ableness, and in the middle for you and me today, there is that point of crisis, of fear or faith. And in that crossroads, worship is a weapon that destroys the lies of the enemy. I'll tell you why. I'll give you four things. Number one, when we worship in the struggle, it lifts our gaze up and off of whatever is bringing the darkness, and it puts our focus back on Jesus. 2 Chronicles 20, a story that anybody here that's been around church knows very well. If you haven't, you're going to love this, and you're going to wish you'd been around church a whole lot sooner when you get around 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But short version of this. The people of God are surrounded. This Old Testament story. They're surrounded by three armies, and they're outnumbered massively in this struggle. And so they come to Jehoshaphat, who's the leader of the army of the people of God, and they give him the report. This army's over here, and this army's over here, and this army's over here. And man, we're surrounded. And so Jehoshaphat begins to pray. This is a good thing to do. It says in verse uh, 6 that he went out and said to the Lord, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? So he starts remembering. You're the God of our fathers. You're the God of the past. We know what you have done in the past. But then look down, if you will, in verse 12. He says, O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us and we do not know what to do." So that's an okay thing to say when you're being assailed from every side. You don't have to put the spiritual front up and say, oh, I know what to do, oh, I know how to respond, oh, I know how to take care of this. It's okay to say, I'm surrounded, and I'm outnumbered, and I don't know what to do. As long as you add the next phrase. He said, we do not know what to do, but our what? Our eyes are on you. And what happened for me, even in that 2 o'clock song, was it started lifting my gaze up off of myself and onto the Lord, the one who is a healer, the one whose love is deeper than the sea, the one whose mercy is unfailing, and the one whose arms are a shelter and a fortress for the weak. And so they decide what they're going to do. They pour out their hearts to the Lord. The Lord speaks to them and gives them a plan. And then I want you to see what happens over in verse 20. It says, so early in the morning, they left out for the desert. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. If you don't hear Isaiah 41.10 running through these two phrases, it's all right in here. He says, Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will succeed. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Or singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And so they'd come to Revelation. Their eyes were on the Lord. They'd gotten a word from God. The word they got from God is, you stand firm, and I'm going to do the work. And so they said, we believe it. We're putting our faith in that. And as they went out to fight, they didn't just sit back. They said, we're going out to fight. We're going to go meet these three armies. Come on, armies of Judah. Come on, people of Jerusalem. Here we go. But guess what? We're going to put the choir in front of the army. You say, that sounds like the lamest thing I've ever heard of. That sounds like a bunch of weaklings, like, I don't know, get some people in robes and put them out there, and if we get enough of them, maybe they'll create a buffer between us and the enemy. No, they believe that we want to lead with praise. So imagine how ridiculous this looked through the three armies when some choir guys started coming out singing, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. But what they were doing was they were using worship as their weapon of faith. And in the process of that, it was lifting their eyes up from the armies, which were very real. And God isn't wanting us to deny the reality of the things coming against us, but it was lifting their gaze up even higher to the Lord of lords. Verse 22, as they began to sing and praise, as, key word there, they began to sing and praise, as they began. Not when they were thinking about singing, not when they talked about singing, but as they began to sing. And to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. They got confused, and one army attacked the other army and wiped them out. Then these other army got in on those guys, and then one of the armies got confused and turned on themselves and wiped themselves out. And God brought a tremendous victory to his people this day. And it wasn't led by their might, it was led by their faith, voiced in their praise of who God is. The second thing that happens when we praise God is it invites his presence. Nothing brings the presence of God more than our worship, and there's nothing we need more when we're in the dark night of the soul than the presence of God. And the presence of God does come to our desperate cry, but the presence of God comes to a proclamation of worship. There's a passage that, uh, in in Psalm 22, verse 3, and I don't know if any of you guys are old enough, some of you are going to really be dated by this, but there used to be a a Christian band back in the day, back along the time of the dinosaurs, called the Imperials. And um, they had this song. Anybody, at least one or two people remember the Imperials? Thank you. Um, They had a song called Praise the Lord. Anybody remember this song? And in the, in the, in the, one of the phrases in that song said, he in, for the Lord inhabits praise. And if you grew up in traditional church and you had a King James Bible at some time in your life, you've probably heard that phrase, and it came out of this psalm, Psalm 22. But look what it says in, in some of the more uh, modern translations, which are actually a little bit more accurate phrasing of Psalm 22, verse 3. It says, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One You are the praise of Israel. You are the praise of Israel. But then there's a little footnote by that, just a little, you know, small Bible lesson here. You might see a footnote at the end of that phrase. Mine has a footnote number A or letter A. And if you read down to the bottom, what happens when Scripture is being translated from the Hebrew in this case into English that there are a lot of scholars who come around and work on these translations. And so sometimes somebody will say, we think this is the word. Others will say, we think this is the word. And sometimes it's not 100% clear whether it's this word or this word. Now be assured that that never changes the meaning of any of the text. It's not like you know it says there's one God, and over here it says there's 97 gods. It's not like that. It's just what is the right and best English word to get at the heart of the meaning of what is being said here. And I love this. When you look down to the alternate reading, down at the footnote on the bottom of your page, I think we might have this for you, it says this, it says, or, another reading of this, is yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. So what the King James said in the old days that God inhabits the praises of his people actually wasn't that far off because this alternate reading of this verse says that God sits down, he is enthroned, he takes his rightful place where? On the praises of his people. And so the way I like to say it, if you want God's presence, build him a throne. And the way you build him a throne is with your worship. And when you worship God, it builds a place for him to come and sit down in the midst of your praise. That's why as a church, we're not just warming up with these songs. We're building God a throne. He already has a throne. He doesn't need our throne. But our worship is saying, God, we want your presence here today. We don't want just music. We don't want just good good musicians and and, and a a good experience here today. We want your presence here today. So what we're going to do is do the thing we know invites your presence, which is to worship you and to build a throne with our faith and our words and our belief and our recognition of who you are hoping that you will come and take your rightful place on the praises of your people and that you'll come and sit in our midst. And when you're in the darkness, It might be all you can do to build a little bitty throne out of praise, but a little throne that's inhabited by a big God will begin to change the atmosphere of the dark night of your soul. My dad first was diagnosed with all the stuff he went through. Most of you know that story. He had gone through a brain surgery, and he was in ICU at Piedmont Hospital, and ICU is just a It's just a nightmare. You know, the person you love the most is in a room that you can't go in. You've got 15 minutes at 7 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon and whatever time they're set, 6 at night. And you get like three minutes just to step into that place or four or five. And my dad was in some serious, serious agony in a coma, a huge fever on these cooling pads, freezing, shivering, some sometimes slightly conscious. And I just remember walking in that room. I'm like, you know, just a young man, just gotten married. And I'm standing in that room, and I'm thinking, God gives songs in the night. <laughs> this was before this. And I'll never forget this moment. And I don't know what happened. I, I don't know anything that happened, but I'll never forget. There are little windows in this ICU at Piedmont, just little bitty windows about this big that light comes in. I just remember looking out and above the building and up to the sky, and I just was standing there next to my dad, and I just had my hand on the side of his bed, just on his arm, and I just started singing this. This is back
1: in the day, and I just started singing this. Jesus, name above all names, beautiful Savior. Glorious Lord Emmanuel, God is with us, Blessed Redeemer, Living Word Jesus. Name above all names, blessed Redeemer, glorious Lord, Emmanuel, God is with us, blessed Redeemer. Living Word.
0: And just saying, God, we're going to praise you. We're going to praise you. Because we need a throne in this room. We need your presence in this place. The third thing that praise as a weapon does is it displaces. Like, well, did your dad get healed that day? No, he didn't. Well, then what's the point? The point is that God's biggest miracle is when he sustains us through the dark night of the soul. Can God change the dark night of the soul? Yes. Have have I ever seen God do a miracle? Yes. Have I ever seen God change the situation? Yes. Have I ever seen God intervene? Yes, I have. But the more powerful miracle, I'll say this to you as your pastor, because every one of us is going to need this in our lives, the biggest miracle of all is not that God healed them in the timetable that we asked for or that a miracle happened on the moment that we prescribed for it to happen. The biggest miracle is when you're still standing at the end of the day, you're still in your right mind, you're still trusting in Jesus, you've come through the fire and through the flood and through the storm and through the dark night of the soul, and you are still holding on to God. That, my friends, is a miracle, and that's what God does in our lives, and that's what happens. To us, that's what happens to us when we praise. I won't say a lot about this because we're gonna come to the end here, but you can go and read this for yourself. First Samuel 16, verses 14 down to 22. David was put in the service of Saul the king as a little bitty shepherd boy, and Saul was tormented by a spirit from God. The scripture says an evil spirit, but it wasn't a demon or a demonic spirit, it was God troubling him, it was God bringing trouble to Saul. And so they searched around, and they found someone to come and play. It happened to be that it was David. Because guess what? He'd been out with the sheep playing psalms like the ones you and I are singing out of Scripture. Where'd those songs come from? A lot of them came from a little shepherd boy with his harp and his lyre out before the Lord in the presence of God, singing his heart and remembering who God is. So the king now is troubled, and they brought David to him. And the Scripture says, and when David played, the Spirit left him. Praise displaced the darkness. Because praise and darkness, fear and faith, cannot occupy the same space. So if we fuel the fear, if all we talk about is the anxiety, if all we think about is the negative, and we just tell that story over and over and over and over again, that story occupies the space. But if you put praise in the space, the anxiety has to go, okay, we're, gonna ha- we're not going to go completely away, but we're going to have to go stand over here for a minute because praise filled up this space. Isaiah 61, it says this, and this is a prophecy that Jesus read when he announced his ministry on earth. He reached back to the prophet Isaiah He took up the scroll as he went to the temple on this particular day, and the reading was Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to bring good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, to lift up those who are trampled down and to proclaim release for the prisoners and to say, this is the year of God's favor. In the very next few verses, he says, to give to all who mourn in Zion. And then he lists four amazing phrases and one of them is this, to give a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And there's an exchange that happens And when heaviness is closing in, and when the darkness is closing in, God is saying, here, take this. And what is this? Well, oh, this is the hammer that beats down the spirit of heaviness. Take the hammer and crush the spirit of heaviness. Here, this is the magic, you know, machine that makes the darkness go away. No, he said, hey, you got the spirit of heaviness? Take this, quick. What is it? It's the garment of praise. Put it on. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Start singing the song, and the song will displace the darkness. It doesn't happen like a formula, but trust me, it has power. And you put worship in your mouth, you begin to have the weapon that you need to fight against the lies of the enemy. The last one is simply this When we praise God... It gives us a new narrative and a new story. Psalm 42 is so powerful. And uh, you, again, you can, you can check this out, but I do want to read one verse of it as we're closing today. Psalm 42 is, is this psalm that came to me at my 2.30 time. Um, it's not one of the psalms of David. I wish it was because I would like to think it's one of the psalms that he sang to King Saul. But this one's from the sons of Korah. A nice worship band that was happening at the time. But um, I love what he says in the middle of it. As the deer pants for streams of water is the way it opens. But verse 5 says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet will I praise him, my Savior and my God. At verse 8, by day the Lord directs his love, and at night... His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I mean, I, I'm sorry, I almost shouted right there, and it would have scared some of you. But come on, you know, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not just sort of telling Louie's story. I'm telling the God's story, the ancient story, the story of the generations, the story of the ages. By day, the Lord directs his love to me. So I was on the right path with my song that night, and I didn't even know it. Be still my soul, there's a healer. His love is deeper than the sea. Why did that phrase come? Because his love casts out, I mean, uh, God's perfect love casts out fear. That's what 1 John says. Perfect love casts out fear. And so something about being in the love of God is a fear fighter. And that's exactly what the sons of Korah were writing. By day, the the Lord directs his love. And at night, at night, in the nighttime, in the dark time, his song is with me. And it is a prayer to the God of my life. And so verse 11, he repeats it. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. You know, we are great at preaching to everybody else. Amen? How many of you preach great sermons to your friends? Oh, let's go to Starbucks. Oh, I tell you what you need to do. Oh, this is what you need to say. Oh, let me give you this verse of scripture. Oh, let me tell you how this needs to work out. Oh, let me give you this resource that I found. Oh, let me bring you this book that I've read. And then we go get in our car and we go right back into our little dark tunnel, don't we? And we don't apply half of what we're telling everybody around us to apply to their lives. I can stand up here and and speak to thousands of people, but I'm telling you, for all of us, there is a day in our lives where we gotta stop preaching to everybody else and start preaching to ourselves. We gotta start preaching to ourselves. And that's what the psalmists were doing. They said, why are you downcast? Or don't be downcast, oh, my soul. Put your hope in God. There's a day that we got to start telling ourselves. We got to start bringing the truth of God to our own lives and say, hey, you soul, hello. I need to talk to you for a minute. Soul, are you in there? Yeah, we're in here. We're getting crushed by the darkness. We're so afraid. We're so stressed right now. Anxiety is everywhere. Well, I want to talk to you, soul, because God's given me the ability by the power of his spirit to communicate now to myself, my mind and my soul and my heart and all of my inmost being. Everybody pay attention now. Don't be downcast because we're going to put our hope in God. We're going to put our hope in God. Come on, soul. You're like, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the word of God. Don't be downcast, soul. Meaning, come on, soul. Come on. Come on. We're rooting in, 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 in faith now. We're rooting in truth today. Come on. Come on. Come on, lift up. Come on, look up. Look up. I know there's three armies. I know there are three armies. Come on, look up. Let's sing this song. Is it a great hymn, classic, with 19 verses and big theological words? No. The song is, give thanks to the Lord. His love endures forever. That's what we're going to sing today. Come on. Come on, soul. Come on. And when you use worship as a weapon, you can change your environment. If you're in a dark place, get anointed worship music on in the room. Get it on. If the news you watch before you go to work raises your anxiety, turn it off and put worship on. If riding in your car on the freeway you're listening to something that's elevating your stress and fear and convincing you that calamity is going to happen by 5 o'clock today, and the world's coming to an end tomorrow, then turn it off and put worship on. I'm not saying we're hiding, we're not sticking our head in the sand, we're not going to the holy monastery of God. We're on the freeway, we're going to work, and we're living in the real world, but we are choosing to direct our soul upward to the God of all creation. We're lifting up our gaze, we're lifting up, we're putting something else inside of us. So if if there's a space, fill it up with worship, and not just some worship, don't just get some, some music and put it on. Find something that when you put that music on, you feel the power of the Spirit. And you play it over and over and over. And put it in your mind. And put it in your heart. And eventually, it will get in your mouth. And you'll have a new narrative. And what will your narrative be? You know what? I, I'm in this dark place right now, but God is with me. I'm in this dark place right now, but I found God in this dark place. And my narrative is changing. It's not just all about the darkness. It's about the one who's breaking into the darkness. That's a weapon, man. It's a weapon. Praise is a weapon. And it's ours today. So you say, well, how are you doing? Uh, I'm an anxiety struggler. I know that would be a great story if I told you that a couple of weeks after singing that song, I have never seen anxiety again. You'd probably say, man, we're going to this guy's church, that's what we're going to do. But the true story is that since that day, I became acquainted with anxiety and anxiety is still around. I've never been disabled like that again. The 2.30 thing has come sometimes on and off, but a lot of things are different. Mostly that I know what it is, and I know where it's not coming from, and I know I'm not dying, and I got a song. And so I'm living in light, and I'm living with a story that says Jesus is bigger than anxiety, but I'm not standing up here today to say I've never ever dealt with anxiety again in the four years since that time. Because it comes on its own rhythm. Sometimes it comes when you're not expecting it. Sometimes it comes when you the least time that you think it would show up. And then you've got to choose in that moment fear of faith, and you've got to do exactly what I'm saying right here. You've got to get worship in your mouth, and you've got to lift your gaze up. But I will say this today, I don't believe it's God's plan for anybody here to be disabled by anything like anxiety I don't believe God wants you to to, to live in a hole or in the darkness or in a tunnel you may have a little thorn of anxiety in your flesh for a while but I'm even believing that that that's going to heal in time for me I'm not stopping right here going, well, okay, this is just the way my life's going to be. I'm looking at Jesus and going, you know, i got other issues in my life. I hate to bring that up. Those will be other series later. But i got a lot of things I'm trusting God for in my life. I have a lot of things that I'm still waiting to see the fullness of what I know is going to come as God perfects his perfect work in my life. Because Jesus is not finished with me yet. And so I'm not settled down in, well, you know what, it's just the way it's going to be. i got to deal with anxiety. i got to take medication. I don't take medication. Super rarely would I take any medication now Because I'm, I'm not settling into Well it's just the way it is And here's how it works And here's what you do No I know Jesus And Jesus has brought me through The toughest time of my life Personally Brought Shelly and me through Such a valley with this together God bless her And I believe God's Going to keep taking me on And I want to speak that out over us. You you do what you need to do, and you get the help you need to get. But do not settle today into any kind of thinking that says, well, this is just the way it is. Because this is not the way it is. There's a God whose love comes running for you in the day and whose songs fill you up in the night. And he is great. He is awesome. His name is Jesus and all the darkness believes in him all the darkness believes in him and that is where our hope is